Well, we have gathered today to worship the Lord, to honor Him, to sing His praise, and we want to hear His voice today. And for the last several weeks, we have been studying, looking at specific instances in the Gospels where Jesus encountered someone, and in that encounter, we see how the Gospel affects every area of our life. And today, we're going to look at how the gospel impacts your grief, the gospel, the good news about your grief. Each week, we have begun by hearing a testimony, and I've been interviewing different individuals who, who are simply sharing with us how the Lord Jesus Christ changed their life. And today, I've asked Mark Nix to come. He's one of our deacons. He's a farmer here in our community. I've asked him to come and share his testimony. And so, Mark, would you come join me uh, for just a moment? Let me just begin by asking, how did it begin? Where, where and how did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, Don, when I, I came to church all my life, even before I was born, uh, my parents brought me, and I guess uh, while I was in the womb, while I came to church. Uh, just to say, uh, back when I was probably, I, I don't even know, six or seven years old, I came forward, had seen friends coming forward and getting baptized and what have you, and uh, I thought, well, how neat. Didn't want to be left out. I came forward, and I answered all the questions right, I'm sure. And uh, anyway, I was baptized at that time. But of years later... I found out that that was not the case, that I had come to know the Lord at that time. Uh, as you've shared before in uh, sermon, well, there was a youth movement that took place back in the 70s. And just to say very quickly is that I had uh, left to go to Iowa. I had been there for just a little bit and um, was, had a girlfriend and was coming back to win and was getting word, well, there was a Bible study that was going on here in Wynn. And she had become a part of it, along with several of my friends, other friends, and so forth. And as I got back home, she shared with me how that there was going to be several of them that were going to end up going forward that Sunday morning, rededicating their lives, some that were saved, and so forth. And uh, she was just telling me of how the Lord had been working in her life, and she was it, she was changed. There were just some things in there that she wanted to see changed. It worried me, and I thought that I was fixing to lose a girlfriend here because of what my things were going on in my life. Anyway, just to say, things started happening then that I'm hearing some friends talk about some things that were going on in their life, and this was not what was happening in my life. Cut it shorter is that a Sunday morning came and they went forward. I thought that I would go forward that morning to simply show her and them I, I could change. I didn't go forward that morning and just to say that I went home that day, knelt down in front of a chair and began praying. Now I don't know if I was, I don't think that I was saved at that time, but that next following week, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. And the next thing I found out was I was at a youth meeting, and Rick Proctor 
knelt down with me, and I ended up accepting Christ at that time. That was on January the 8th. I celebrate my birthday January 7th, so I have two birthdays going on at that time. But anyway, just to say that my life started changing then. Uh, there were things that were happening before that. I uh, was into some things that were, uh, didn't need to be into, and I found out that some of those want-tos were no longer there. And those want-tos that had been once that I thought was very top of the list were now just crumbling. Mark, you continued to grow after that. We've, we've talked about this, and Jesus had become real to you. But then there came a moment in your life where you and Claire experienced a, a, just a horrific tragedy. And um, share with us just a little bit what Jesus did in your life at that moment and how he's continued to work in your life since then. Of the year of 1990, at the beginning of that year, my wife, by the way, that girlfriend ended up becoming my wife. <laughs> uh, if any of you need any help, you can come talk to Mark. <laughs> Claire came to me and said, I don't know why, but the Lord had just started putting upon her heart of praying for our son. Our son was our youngest of our children. And uh, he was eight at that time and was praying for his salvation. The girls came forward when uh, uh, one was six and one was seven. Though Todd was eight, still young, but she just said that this was very hard. It was very heavy upon her heart, the Lord was putting there. Next thing I knew, I'm praying too, uh, putting an urgency in my life of uh, praying for my son's health. Of course, I had been anyway, but just more of urgency that was taking place. That, then of March, a revival took place, and he came home asking questions. To cut it short is that um, within a few days, Claire and I were in his room, and uh, I had the privilege of being able to be a part of leading my son to know the Lord. November 2nd of that year, uh, there was a farming accident. And uh, I lost my son at that time. I would like to say that I was immediately calling on the Lord and getting into his word and uh, trying and, and doing that. But that's not what was happening. First of all, let me just say that one thing that, that I can say what the Lord showed one of many things that he showed during this time was a body, God's body, who ended up ministering and showed how a body is supposed to end up ministering to one another. Of the night and some nights afterwards, we had people down in our living room while we were upstairs at nighttime. They stayed all night and prayed, sta standing in the gap for us lifting us up. That was beyond belief in, of days and, and months and years to come, yet still ones still coming and saying things to us. But, and to say this, is that I ended up going through a time that uh, I, 
I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to minister to my family. I didn't know what to do. I was empty. I was waking up to my wife holding my hand. And I was having dreams, and she just simply uh, reciting scripture over me. One of the scriptures that she used, which I know that I'd read it before, but it, it began probably what has inducted in my life. Uh, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind shall stay on thee. I went through a time at that time of then of convinced that the Lord had something else for me to do, that I was not going to end up farming anymore, that there was something else out there. Months went by. This was in the fall. And I uh, went through the, all the winter, and just to say that I, nothing was coming up. It was getting time to farm again. And it was time to end up start figuring up as far as for crop, what's going to happen on crop and crop loan. And, and times were bad at that time of as far as the way farming was going on then. I wasn't understanding why nothing was coming up. I ended up anyway went to our former pastor. He was not here at the time. He had moved on to uh, Mid-America, Don Donovan, and I just poured out my heart to him. And I said, I'm, I'm convinced there's something else that's out there. And he said something. He said, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to like, but it's what he has found in his life. And that if you can't end up tracing the Lord's hand in something, if he's not moved and showed you something, then you continue doing what you're doing. I, he was right. I did not want to hear that. I came back home, and in the next few days, then he even heard a song of saying, singing of that, if you can't trust, trace his hand or trust his heart. I found myself one morning laying flat out on the floor, my face buried into the floor. And I said, Lord, you know I, don't, I do not want to farm. You know that I do not want to trace, go back uh, these paths and go out there and see things. But if you were wanting me to farm, be a farmer, you're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to do it minute by minute, day by day month by month. I cannot do it. He had been continuing saying to me during those earlier days, just trust in me. Just trust in me. When I, when those things came forth from my lips, I had a release that came from my, my spirit within my being, on my shoulders, that the peace that passes all understanding. And though I still didn't want to be out there to farm, there was something there that I could end up trusting him. I'd like to just simply share this very quickly in that there was something else the Lord did at that time. Went to the bank to just end up start a supply for a loan, and we were turned down for the loan. I went, Lord, what? are you doing? I do not understand. Why have you brought me to this place to where 
I surrender. I sacrificially surrender is what it was coming down to. To be at this point, and this happens that um, we're not going to get alone. Again, he just said, trust me. Some things happened to where they had to go out from underneath the bank of doing a loan, a part of a loan, and, and did half a loan with them. And leaving the bank during that spring, walked out the man's, the vice president's office, shook his hand, looked in his eyes. Said, I just said, I don't understand why this is happening this way. Uh, all I know is, is that we're to continue to farm. I'm supposed to continue farming, and the Lord's going to take care of this. That year, we had planted more wheat than we'd ever planted before. Never had planted 1,200 acres before of, of wheat. Wheat prices went out the wazoo. We had the best wheat crop we'd ever had. Other crops were great. Other prices came in. He had asked for me to bring uh, papers in and where we had done booking, where we had done pricing and all this between Christmas and New Year's and say that he looked at it. He asked me, have you doubled up on some things, oh, some figures? And I said, no. I, he went back, he looking at looking at his monitor. He pushed away from the desk. He went, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Y'all have come to a point where we figured it would take at least three years for you to get to, and you've done it in one year. You and your dad have done a wonderful job. I said, no. It was my Lord. I told you when I left out of your office that day that I didn't understand, but that my Lord was going to take care of this, and that's what he did. Um, he has shown his glory to me and my family over and over and over again. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for the truths that we have found in your word that become realities in our life when we trust you, when we take your promises and hold them close to our heart. Father, there's never been anyone who could give a testimony that you have failed them when they have trusted in you. We thank you for Mark and Claire and their family, the way that you have worked through them to minister to countless numbers of people over the years. We know, Father, that, that that ministry often has a root of suffering and uh, the overcoming of great pain and hardship, and we know others can share in that story in this church. Father, we, we, uh, we recognize that in our church family, perhaps more than any other church in Arkansas, people have experienced loss. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come today and minister among us in a supernatural way a way that goes beyond any words that I could speak, a way that takes your word and applies it to those hearts that desperately need it today. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. Thank you for this brother. And we ask that you continue to bless them in their home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. The gospel on your grief. The gospel on your grief. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn, please, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to be looking, really, at most of that chapter through the first 44 verses. 
and uh, we're not going to be able to read all of those verses with the time that we have, but, um, but I want you to be in that chapter because that's where our focus will be this morning. There's a story here that we're going to be looking at that involves two sisters and a brother, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. And earlier, they had met Jesus. And in that encounter, their lives had been changed already, forever. In Luke chapter 10, we first meet this family. And you'll remember the story where Martha is being the ultimate hostess. She's taking care of the meal. She's taking care of all the the details associated with providing hospitality for a great teacher like Jesus to be in the house. But Mary, her sister, was sitting at Jesus' feet. You remember that? And, uh, and Martha learned a lesson about what was really important and what was most important, and that was to hear Jesus and to listen to him. Well, in John chapter 11, the situation has changed dramatically. In this particular story, Jesus is not in their town, but he's still their friend, and the brother Lazarus has become ill. And it's a very serious illness. And so they send messengers to go and find Jesus. Probably he's a day away of travel. And they find him and they tell him that Lazarus is near death. They want him to come. And immediately what you begin to realize is that having a relationship with Jesus does not make you immune to trouble or tragedy. As close as these two sisters and brother were to Jesus, they were still experiencing a situation that was life-threatening, a problem beyond their control, and as we're going to see, a life circumstance that caused tremendous grief for these sisters. Jesus didn't go right away. Going back to where Mary and Martha were meant going into an area where people were very hostile. The leadership in Jerusalem was very hostile to Jesus. They had made threats against him. And, and for whatever reason, he chose to wait, not one day, but two days before he would go, uh, to make, to, to clarify Jesus' heart towards Mary and Martha. John actually says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so his hesitation was, was because God was going to do something that no one could imagine, no one had even dreamed of, that someone who was dead not just for a few hours, but for days, would be brought back to life. And so, so the story of Jesus finally returning to them picks up in verse 17. And I want to call your attention to that, John 11 and verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Martha hears that Jesus has come. She runs to meet him. She has questions. We're going to look at those, uh, what she says and how Jesus responds to her. After that engagement, Martha goes and tells Mary, who's still at home, and says, Mary, you, the, the master's calling for you, and, and she comes. And when she comes, she doesn't stand before Jesus. It says she falls at his feet. And she says the very same thing her sister says. And she's weeping. And the people who follow her are also weeping. And, and it comes to the moment where Jesus asks them to roll the stone away 
from where the brother was buried. And if you look at verse 41, we read what happens next. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by. I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he, had, when he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Are you grieving? Is grief where you are at this particular moment? In this series of studies, a central verse that we have mentioned each week is found in 1 Corinthians 1.18, where Paul writes, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As Christians, we believe that there's a message that properly delivered, just given to people, helping people understand this basic message, that message has the power to change a human heart forever. And it takes all the load off of us as Christians. We think sometimes we have to be something like salespeople to try to convince people to receive Christ. No, our assignment is to evangelize. The assignment is to get the message out, the good news out. That's what evangelize means. It means to good news eyes people. And to give them good news. Now, good news isn't hard to share, is it? You know, when you really have good news, you don't think twice, well, how can I share this good news? You don't think about that, do you? You just go and you start sharing good news. Well, the gospel about Jesus is good news. And in the gospels that we read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus personifies good news. He is the subject of the good news. He's the good news in person. And so we want to explore what happens when someone is experiencing something very common Many of us in this church have experienced great loss and tragedy. How does a life change? How is it impacted when a person who is grieving encounters Jesus Christ? And so this is not hypothetical. This is history. And it can be your story if it's not already. It can be your story as well. So what is the good news about your grief? Number one, Jesus draws near when you grieve. Jesus draws near when you grieve. Listen to verse 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So the moment came where Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, let's go to him. And, and he's already gone. In fact, if you go back and read the early part of the chapter, Jesus said, he sleeps, but I'm going to go and wake him. And he was saying he was dead. The disciples thought he was literally just sleeping. And they didn't understand. But Jesus says, it's time, let's go. Let's go, and something's going to happen, and it's going to change the way you think about me. You're going to believe. You're going to believe. The point is, is that these sisters were hurting. These sisters are deep in grief. The custom in that day and time for a Jewish person who lost someone close to them was they would be in mourning, they would stay at home, they wouldn't go anywhere, they wouldn't do anything for seven days after the funeral. Last year on Palm Sunday, 
I had just lost my grandfather uh, the week before, and I preached a message talking about how God heals the brokenhearted, heals the broken heart. I recommend it. Uh, it's not often I recommend my own sermons, but I recommend that one. Uh, it's a long one, one of the longer ones, but it's well worth it. If you're hurting, uh, go back to March 20th of last year, and you'll find that particular message. It goes into much more detail than we're doing today. But I want you to know that Jesus comes. They are hurting. He comes. It is promised in God's Word that he'll come. Your pastor doesn't believe that that is tied to whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Part of that mission is to heal the brokenhearted. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, this is a great memory verse for you if you struggle in this area. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. You see that? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite or a crushed spirit. And that's what contrite means, crushed in the little bitty pieces. Now, that's a promise. And one of the things you and I have to learn to do is to use our imagination, which is a God-given thing, and take the promises of God and exercise faith in his promises. That means that as a pastor or as a Christian as a brother, as a family member, I can go to someone and with absolute confidence say, look, I know for certain God is near because you're grieving, because your heart is broken. And it may not be the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job, loss of a relationship, it could be all, any kind of loss. But he comes and his presence is available to you. You may not feel that way, but that's the truth. He did it then. And he's not changed. So Jesus draws near when you grieve. Secondly, the good news about your grief is this. Jesus destroys hopelessness when you place your trust in him. He destroys hopelessness when you place your trust in him. In other words, he's going to do something if we will listen to him and trust him. He will inject hope when all you and I feel at that moment maybe is despair. Just complete loss of hope. And listen, the human heart can handle a lot of things, but hopelessness is not one of them. You can't live very long without hope. I came across a, a medical doctor who's an author. Uh, his name is Alex Lickerman, an author. He's a general internist in his training. He's a former vice president for student health and counseling services at the University of Chicago. And um, I want you to listen. After he had a couple of bouts with a life-threatening illness. Listen to what he writes. Whenever I've tried wrapping my mind around the concept of my own demise, truly envision the world continuing on without me, the essence of what I am utterly gone forever, I've unearthed a fear so overwhelming. The anxiety that began to envelop me at that point was of an entirely different order than I'd experienced before. It began to interfere with my ability to function, which made plain to me that what my brush with death twice had taken from me was my ability to believe that I would never die. Ultimately, being ill brought me to the realization, contrary to what I had always believed in my heart, that there was nothing special about me at all. Like everyone else, I was only a piece of meat that would eventually spoil. From that point forward, whenever I'd feel a minor twinge in my chest 
or develop a rash on my arms or my hand would shake for no reason. I would become paralyzed with anxiety. Even though I recognized intellectually that my reaction was overblown, every new random symptom I felt caused my doctor's brain to leap to horrifying conclusions simply because I now knew in a way I hadn't before that bad things could actually happen to me. This man had become a Buddhist, a practicing Buddhist for 20 years. And after 20 years of practicing Buddhism, he says this, For me to become convinced that life is eternal, I must have an experience that proves it to me beyond a shadow of a doubt. I need to know it the way I know gravity is real. I must confess I can't today even conceive of what that experience would be. I can think of no more genuine a challenge to a belief in life after death, whether through reincarnation or ascension to heaven or anything else, than the actual imminent approach of death itself. In other words, you may believe something, but it's only tested when death is coming close. I fully recognize that my current belief about death, that it is truly the final end of self, is likely to be correct. Depending on your current life stage, this might not seem like a pressing issue. But shouldn't it be? An experience like mine could become yours at any moment. And even more desirable than being able to die peacefully is being able to live fearlessly. I've tried to resolve my fear of death intellectually and come to the conclusion that it can't be done, at least not by me. This man has no hope, and he preaches happiness. He's written books about how to be happy, and that's his heart. In contrast to that, listen to the writer of Hebrews chapter 2. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid of anything, especially death. And so the good news is that Jesus destroys hopelessness when you place your trust in him. Look at verse 20, what he says to Martha. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha just wanted her nightmare to end. She wanted her brother back. She knew Jesus had raised other people from the dead. She said, I know God the Father. He'll do it for you if you ask him. And she just, she, that's all she's thinking about. She just wants her, her grief to stop. She wants to get away from the pain. But Jesus has something else he wants to address. First, what she's thinking, what she's feeling, how she's approaching life, what it is that she's believing, because there's nothing like grief and loss to expose what you really believe about God. That's what that doctor was saying. You need to know something more. So look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, now he doesn't waste his breath, okay? She really needed to hear this. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what he says to Martha in the middle of her grief. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. He's saying, Martha, if you trust me, your body may come to an end, but you're never going to die. Life just continues. Death becomes a transition, but life never misses a beat. Never. And what you need to understand, Martha, is that, yeah, there's a bodily resurrection in the future. And you believe that, and that's good. And we have all of these doctrines, don't we? That there's life after death, and yeah, when you die, you go to heaven and so forth. He wants it to be real to her. Your brother's not dead. Your brother believed in me, he lives right now. And if you believe in me like that, your life is going to be the same way. You'll face death, you'll plow right through it. Life will continue on. The problem is, is when we take our focus off of him, Dear ones, grief, and some of you know this already, it is so powerful, it will close you up into a dark place and keep you from interacting with anybody, especially God. And the moment you and I take our focus off of Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, when we take our focus off of him and we put our focus on the problem, put our focus on the loss, put our focus on the the trial, put our focus on the pain, and that's where we stay and we don't see anything else, listen, you're just going to be covered up. It'll eat you up. It'll destroy your life. And it is absolutely vital that you get eyes off of that issue, off of that thing. Yes, we grieve. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Yes, we grieve, but you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what he's saying to Martha. Look at me. Root your whole attention and your faith in me. That's the only way to have hope. Number three. What is the good news about your grief? Number three, Jesus chooses to enter your pain. Say, Pastor, that sounds kind of odd. Well, you need to hear it because it's the truth. Jesus chooses to enter your pain. Look at verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now look at verse 32. Verse 32. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. That's where she liked to go. In Luke 10, that's what she did. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Who else said that? Martha said that. Very same thing that Martha did. But Mary's at a different place, and, um, and, and there's different meaning there. But she, asked, she says that very same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. It says that she was weeping, the people with her were weeping, and Jesus wept. 
Different words are being used there. Her weeping, the weeping of the crowd, was an audible cry. They were crying out loud. They were wailing. They were, they were grieving in a very loud way, very real way. The Bible says that Jesus groaned in his spirit. And the word there means to be angry. There's a, there's a note of anger in that. Now, was he angry at her? Anybody think he was angry at her? No. And then it says Jesus wept. And it doesn't use the word for wailing, although there were times in Jesus' life where he did wail. But in this moment, he wept, meaning he shed tears. And so tears are running down his face as he looks at Mary, as he looks at these others who are gathered around. Tears are running down his face. Do you think he felt something at that moment? Do you think he entered into her pain? Why did Jesus cry? you got to stop and really ask yourself that. If you're hurting today, you need to see this. When it says Jesus wept, we talk about the shortest verse in the Bible and all of that. That's fine. But why did Jesus cry? Jesus had come into a world that was broken and damaged by sin, the sin of every human being. And we are experiencing the consequences of that. You hear people sometimes who see tragedy and they say, how could a loving God allow that to happen? The truth is, we live in a world and we do it to ourselves. We live in a world that's damaged by sin. Nature is corrupted by sin. We have an enemy who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God is not responsible for the mess that you and I encounter. And Jesus, who has come to rescue us from this present evil age, when he encounters the effects of suffering and brokenness in your life, the Bible says he weeps. He grieves with you, for you. One of the great expressions of the gospel that you'll find in the Old Testament is found in Isaiah 53. And, um, and you may just want to jot it down in your margin, but I, I, need to, I, I just want to call your attention to this, okay? Isaiah 53 is one of the great expressions of the gospel in the Old Testament. Greatest uh, clearest presentation of it that you'll find. And listen to what it says in verse 3. Talking about, we know it's talking about Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. That's our Savior. And acquainted with grief. And we look at that word acquainted in English and we think, well, an acquaintance is not someone that's very close to you. I'm just acquainted with that person. I'm acquainted with... No, this one is describing intimate knowledge. A better translation of it. He's, he's intimately knowledgeable about grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. How many griefs of human beings, how many sorrows of each individual human being did he carry? Not just our sins. The Bible says he's carrying our sorrows and bearing our griefs. All of them. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
The writer is looking at that moment at the cross where the people look at him at the cross and they say, well, he's getting what he deserved. He, he was a blasphemer. He, he rejected the truth about God. He's just getting what he deserved. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then the writer says, Isaiah says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. It wasn't about his sin, it was about our sin. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore our griefs, he carries our sorrows, all of them. So much that he's called a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53. Jesus enters your pain with you. Jesus wept. Number four, the good news about your grief. Last thing, Jesus leads you into a deeper understanding of his presence and power. In verse 38, it says, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, he's angry. He hates what's happened in the world. He hates the tragedy. He hates the suffering. He hates the pain. He hates death. And he's angry about it. Groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is with you when you suffer, when you hurt. He comes to inject hope into your life as you will get your eyes on him, understand who he is. There's a possibility of hope. He enters into your pain and your suffering. He not only comes alongside you, he bears that, that burden, he bears that pain, he bears that sorrow. You think it's crushing, you think you can't carry it. He is there to carry it with you. And then he says, did I not say to you, Martha, that if you would believe in me, you would see the glory of God? Martha, your life's not over. I'm still at work in this world. I'm still at work in your life. And I'm about to show you something that's going to reveal to you the presence and the power of God in a way that you've never seen it before. She didn't know what was about to happen. She, she counseled him not to roll the stone away from the hole. It's going to stink, Lord. She had no expectation of what was about to happen. He said, didn't I say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And what, what has to happen in the process of grief that you and I go through is we've got to get to the place where we recognize that if I trust Jesus Christ, there is more yet to be lived. There's more life to be lived. It's a new world. It's a different world. Everything's different. Everything's changed. Nothing is ever going to be like it was, but God still has a purpose for me. God still is at work in my life. God is still going to do something. You heard Mark share that. And it doesn't deny the fact that there's a real process, and we go through it, and he weeps with us, and he's sensitive to that. But if that's where you are, the rest of your life, you have missed the encounter with Jesus Christ that he offers to you. If you believe in me, he says, you will see the glory of God. 
Not everybody's going to get their, their loved one raised back to life on this side of heaven. In fact, we know that Lazarus still died. I suspect we don't know the whole story. I suspect he grew old and died, but he still died. This was not a resurrection like Jesus rose from the grave with a new body, a body that, that is very different than our physical bodies now. He had a resurrection body. Lazarus didn't have that. Not everybody's going to experience someone coming back from the dead. But every person that turns to him, every person that trusts him, is going to experience the glory of God in their life. Are you hurting this morning? I want you to know that Jesus is near. He's not far away. He hasn't forgotten you. He not only is near, he is experiencing and has entered into your pain. There's not a sorrow you've ever experienced, not a grief you've ever experienced, or tear you've ever shed that he is, was ignorant of and didn't help carry. He is a Savior. He's the one who rescues us. Would you turn to him by faith this morning? Maybe you've rejected him. Maybe you've walked away from him. Maybe you don't even want to talk about him at this moment in your life. And yet the Bible makes very clear the only way you can have hope is if you understand he is the resurrection and he is the life. When you turn to him and, and you're honest with him about your grief, he's not going to rebuke you. He's not going to scold you. He's not going to say, stop it. Everything here indicates that he will only be tender to you. He will only be tender. He will only be gracious. In Luke chapter 4, in his very first sermon, he said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And that's his mission right now in your heart, if you're brokenhearted right now. His mission is the Lord of the universe is to heal your broken heart. And he's the only one that can heal the broken heart. Do you know him? If not, you're unprepared for dark times. You heard the testimony of that doctor. You think he's ready to face death? Not by a long shot. He knows it. Most people don't realize it until it's too late. But he knows it. He knows he's not ready. He knows he doesn't have any faith in eternity. He doesn't have a God to believe in. He's facing total fear. But do you know Jesus Christ? He wants to make you fearless. And the only way you can be fearless when that moment comes, or to be fearless when you're standing by the casket of a loved one, the only way to be fearless in that moment is to have trusted Jesus Christ yourself as your Lord and Savior. Have you given him your life? Have you trusted him for salvation? The Bible says when he died on the cross, he bore your sins in his body on the tree. Everything away for those who trust him. He carries away our griefs and our sorrows. He takes away everything that would destroy your life in eternity. He gives you hope. He gives you a reason to live. He gives you a mission. He gives you a Lord to serve. Are you ready to give your life to Christ? He loves you. He made you for himself. You are precious to him. He is there and he is near. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're hurting today, you just need someone to pray with you, I invite you to come in just a moment when we stand and sing. Our pastors are here. We have others here that would be glad to pray with you, men and women, who will just step out and they'll come alongside you.
And uh, you may not even be able to breathe this morning because of the hurt that you feel. It may be so great. And you may not be able to say a word. Just come, just say, pray for me. And these guys and others here will pray with you. If you're ready to put your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will save you. He'll change your life from the inside out, just like he did for Mark Nix and the others who have shared their testimonies in recent weeks. Are you ready? Now's the time. It's no accident you're here. No accident you've heard what you've heard. He's calling you to himself.